Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy. The Old Testament book of Deuteronomy and Deuteronomy in chapter number 4. The book of Deuteronomy and chapter number 4. We're continuing with our series of the Holy Scriptures. And we're thankful for the good response that we've had as we've just been taking our time and building bit by bit, term by term, to help people to have an understanding about the precious Word of God that God has given to us. We have spoken already about inspiration, meaning that God breathed His Scriptures, that God was the author of the Bible. We spoke about verbal plenary inspiration, that we believe that each and every word of God is inspired. We spoke about the inerrancy of Scripture, that the Bible is without error, meaning it tells the truth. In addition, we spoke about the accuracy of Scripture, that everything that the Bible speaks about, whether it's science, history, theological things, is accurate, and that God knew what he was doing when he spoke about those things. As we continue on, we now hit another subject which is important to our understanding of the Bible that we have, which is called canonicity. And we'll speak more about that, and I'll define it here in a bit. But we're going to speak about canonicity of Scripture, and we start in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter number 4. The book of Deuteronomy, chapter number 4, and if you don't mind, notice with me in Deuteronomy chapter number 4, and notice with me in verse number 1. Deuteronomy 4 and verse 1. Now therefore hearken, O Israel, unto the statutes and unto the judgments which I teach you, for to do them that ye may live and go in and possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers giveth you. Ye shall not Add unto the word which I command you, neither shall ye diminish aught from it, that ye may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you. And if you've never highlighted, starred, put something beside this verse, I encourage you to do that. This is a very important verse where it talks about that God commands them neither to add or diminish or take away from God's word in this early part of the scripture. And with this, we're going to use this as a background, a background text to speak about what we call canonicity of scripture. How do we got the canon of scripture, canonicity of scripture, for those of you who are spelling challenged, may need some help, C-A-N-O-N-I-C- I-T-Y. Canonicity. C-A-N-O-N-I-C-I-T-Y. Canonicity of Scripture. With that, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come up to you today, I'm just asking that you would just help us to understand more of the scriptures, how you gave it to us, and understanding that we recognize that it was you that gave it to us. Help us to have a great understanding and just nail down 
our view of the scripture based off of your word and what you teach us. That the Bible that we have in our hands is exactly the Bible that you intended us to have. Thank you that you can keep your own word as you promised and we love you. Fill me with your spirit and direct my path and my thoughts even tonight. Thank you Lord in Jesus name. Amen. In the book of Deuteronomy, the second telling of the law, that Moses has the opportunity to preach, and as he's being directed by God to preach, a very important warning is given right here at the beginning of the Bible in verse number 2. Ye shall not add unto the word which I command you, neither shall ye diminish aught from it, that ye may be able to keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you. Now a simple commandment. God said, don't add to my word and don't subtract from my word. Why? So that way you could keep my word. If we start adding and subtracting and taking things away from God's word, then we're going to get to the place, which do we obey? What do we don't obey? And you start taking it apart. God says, I gave it to you so you can obey it all. Now notice if you don't mind in the book of Revelation chapter 22. Now, Revelation chapter 22 is going to be at the end of the Bible. And once again, we see uh, that similar warning in Revelation 22. And notice with me in Revelation 22 and verse starting at verse number 18. Revelation 22 and in verse number 18. The Word of God, so the very last book of the Bible, the last chapter in the Bible, and close to the last verses in the last chapter of the last book of the Bible, we see a similar warning. Notice in Revelation 22 and verse 18. For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book. If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of this book, of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. Now, once again, we have another warning. God gives a warning at the beginning of the Bible. By the way, he gives a similar warning in the middle of the Bible. And then at the end of the Bible, he repeats this warning that you should not add nor take away from God's word, from God's book. Notice again how serious God takes this. Verse 18. For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book. If any man shall add unto these things. Meaning you add to the Bible something that should not be there. Notice what God gives a warning on. That God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. Now that's a scary warning. Because as you've seen in the Bible there are a lot of plagues. There are a lot of things that God can do unto a man. And God says don't add things to my book. Well that's interesting. Then notice this, verse 19, and if any man shall take away from the words of this book, meaning if someone took something that was supposed to be in the Bible and purposely took it out, if any man shall take away from the words of this book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part 
out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from those things which were written in this book. Now that's a big pro uh, thing there. Can you imagine God doing, giving such a warning that he says, if you do this, I'm taking away your part from the book of life. That's a big warning. Let me pause here and just hit something on the side. People who do believe that you could lose your salvation, by the way, the Bible doesn't say you could lose your salvation, but those who do believe you could lose your salvation, none of them ever quote this verse. If there was any verse that would even get close to saying you could lose your salvation, it would be this one. By the way, it doesn't say you could lose your salvation. I'll show that to you in a second. But they don't use that. Why? Because they usually take away things from God's word in the first place. They don't want to be reminded of this warning. Now notice, it does not say that you're going to take away your salvation. It says he'll take away his part out of the book of life. And his part out of the holy city. This is talking about the loss of rewards during the millennial kingdom. That you could lose rewards for taking away. You could still be saved, but if you start taking away things from God's word, there's some serious consequences to this. This is a big deal. Now, by the way, this is something that we deal with today. That many Christian dumb religions add things to their Bible. For example, the Mormons have five holy books. The Bible, the Pearl of Good Price, Covenants and Theologians, the Book of Mormon, and there was something else floating out there. But they have added extra books. The Roman Catholics have added stuff called the Apocrypha, meaning that there are books supposed to be in between the Testaments. They've also added other things above that. They have added to God's word. That's a scary thing. There are some people who believe that we have lost some books of the Bible that they have floating around the book of Jasher. They have floating around the, the gospel according to Mary Magdalene, the gospel according to Barnabas, the gospel according to Judas Iscariot. There are all kinds of things out there. So those pose some questions. If some people say that we are missing books, there are some people that say that there should be books that should be added to this. How do we know that the Bible that we have is what God intended us to have? This is a doctrine that we call the canonicity of Scripture. The idea that we have what God intended us to have in full canon. Nothing is added, can be added to it. Nothing can be taken away from it. This is God's complete word. The word canonicity comes with the idea, it literally comes with the idea of a measuring instrument. Or it's used as a rule of action. In theological terms, it carries the idea that the Bible that we have is exactly the Bible in God intended us to have. That is the canonicity of Scripture. Now, this makes sense because we believe that the Bible is a God-breathed book. Man did not write this Bible. God wrote this Bible. So if God wrote this Bible, he knows what should be added to it. He knows what should be in it, right? And so God could easily direct people to show what should be in the Bible and what was not supposed to be in the Bible. Does that make sense? This is the doctrine of canonicity. Canonicity. So with that, let's go ahead and hit some things dealing with canonicity. First of all, 
How is canon decided? How is canon decided? That's a good question. Who decided what books of the Bible should be in there in the first place? How was canon decided? Well, first of all, it is determined by God. God's the one who said what should be in the Bible. Thus saith the Lord is a phrase that is used all throughout the Bible. Much of the Bible is recorded by direct quote. Meaning that God said this and I just wrote down what God said. 50% of the book of Exodus is direct quote. Meaning God said it, I just wrote it down. 90% of the book of Leviticus is direct quote. Meaning that God said it and we wrote it down. Now, we believe that God gave us the entire Bible. But we believe that it was God that directed. He inspired. He breathed. He's the one who brought the authors to write down what they were supposed to write down. This is why we took so much time earlier talking about the in, uh, talking about inspiration of God. Verbal plenary inspiration of God. Inerrancy of God. Accuracy of God. What we're trying to do is put a baseline, build a foundation for an understanding that this is a book given by God. This is not a book by man. Man did not write this book. God wrote this book. He used human instrumentality, but it is a book of God. So he's the one who determines what should be in there because he wrote it. He's the author of it. In addition, not only do we have that God is the one who authorized it, with the same idea, Jesus himself authenticated it. Jesus quoted from the Old Testament freely, and he called the Old Testament scripture the holy writings. We could trust Jesus. Inside of the New Testament, every book of the Old Testament is quoted or referenced in the New Testament except for three books. That would be Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, and Esther. Meaning that every other book of the Old Testament is referenced inside of the New Testament. And they would call it scripture. Jesus is putting a stamp of approval from the New Testament. This is scripture. Now that's pretty good. By the way, none of the Apocrypha was ever quoted by Jesus. None of these so-called missing books were quoted by Jesus or referenced to Jesus. Jesus only quoted from the Old Testament. Testament. Does that make sense? So he's the one who put a stamp of approval on those things. Maybe I could show you something else along with it. We're showing that Jesus Christ, that God is the one who picked the scripture. He was the one who chose it. Notice as Jesus is putting his stamp of approval on this. Notice with me in the gospel record of Matthew chapter 5. The gospel record of Matthew chapter number 5. Again, I'm building a foundation and we're seeing context, but as we're seeing what Jesus said, we're also seeing what is implied in the scriptures too. Matthew chapter number 5. Matthew chapter 5 and notice with me in verse 17. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 17. Jesus said this, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Now, the law and the prophets is the Old Testament division. Uh, in the Jewish canon, they had the, the law and the prophets. 
And Jesus said, the law and the prophets, I didn't come to destroy them. I didn't come to wipe them off. I didn't come to erase them. I'm here to fulfill what was already said. What is implying there, what is being understood, is that the Old Testament scriptures are going to last and Jesus is authenticating them. They're going to be fulfilled. They are scripture. They're what God intended to have. Now I could go quote after quote after quote. I'm not going to do that. I've done a lot of that so far in this series and even more coming up. But let me show you one more really quick. Matthew chapter number 11. Sorry, Luke chapter 11. The gospel record of Luke chapter 11. And again, we're going to see something that Jesus said. And we're going to see the implications of that. Matthew chapter, or Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. As you're turning there, we talked about that the Old Testament is arranged by the law and the prophets. We know that... (coughs) In the first book of the Gen- of, of um, the Hebrew Bible, which is arranged a little bit different than our Old Testament, in the Hebrew Bible, it begins with Genesis, just like ours does. The Hebrew Bible ends with the book of Second or Chronicles, which is in in our section in the middle. But Chronicles is at the end of the Hebrew Old Testament. Make sense? Now, with that being said, notice with me in Luke 11, verse 51. Luke 11, verse 51. From the blood of Abel, by the way, that's recorded in the book of Genesis. From the blood of Abel unto the blood of Zacharias. That happens in the book of 2 Chronicles. From the blood of Abel to the blood of Zacharias, which perished between the altar and the temple, verily I say unto you, it shall be required of this generation. Basically what Jesus is doing as he's talking to the Pharisees, he is saying from blood to blood, from the first martyr found in the Jewish Old Testament to the last martyr in the Jewish Old Testament, he's again referring to the scriptures that they're there. He's verifying. Now, with that, Inside of, um, there were murders inside of the Apocrypha, but Jesus didn't make reference to them. He only made reference to the Old Testament complete. From the beginning of the Old Testament to the end of the Old Testament. He again is making a reference, a side reference, that the Hebrew people would understand. He's referring to their scriptures. Jesus authenticated it. Now, Jesus also pre-authenticated the New Testament scriptures which were going to be written. Notice with me in the gospel record of John chapter 14. The gospel record of John chapter 14. Now again what we're establishing is who is the one How is canon decided? First of all, that it is determined by God. That God wrote it and Jesus being God is confirming it. This is scripture. This is supposed to be there. This is what God has given to us. We see that Jesus has authenticated the Old Testament. Now he is pre-authenticating the New Testament scriptures which are going to be written. Notice with me the gospel record of John chapter 14. The gospel record of John chapter 14. And notice with me in verse number 26. John 14, 26. 
But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Now, you can make direct reference to the idea of the gospel records. That the Holy Spirit is going to bring to your mind and remind you of the things I said. It's going to remind you of the life of Christ. And so we have the, especially the gospel records, also included the New Testament scriptures. The Holy Spirit is going to tell you what to say. He's going to bring to your mind. He's going to teach you all things. Notice again as it's repeated in John 16, John 16 and verse 13, by the way, which is part of the same speech Jesus is having with his disciples as they're going to the Garden of Gethsemane. John chapter 16, and notice with me in verse 13. John 16 and verse 13. Howbeit when he, the Spirit of truth, once again speaking of the Holy Spirit, howbeit when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. So here again, Jesus is giving authorization that the, Old Te- the New Testament scriptures, that's going to be written by the Holy Spirit, that is scripture. The Holy Spirit's the author of it. Now he's pre-authenticating it. Now again, I'm just doing a quick summary of all the things that I could show you. But here we're seeing that how is canonicity decided? First of all, it was determined by God. God's the one who said this is scripture. Second of all, with that, who determined canonicity? It was determined by God. It was confirmed by man. It was confirmed by man, meaning that we recognized what God did. Does that make sense? That's still part of canonicity. Now with it, there were several tests that had to be applied to all scripture for it to be confirmed to be scripture. So here are the tests. First of all, there was the test of authority. The test of authority. This meant that in order for it to be considered scripture, it had to be written or penned by someone with that authoritative job. Like a lawgiver or a prophet in the Old Testament. So was Moses, was Moses an authority? You bet. Was Samuel an authority? Was Jeremiah an authority? Was Ezra an authority? Absolutely. Was Isaiah an authority? Yeah. So you understand that the people who penned it, that's why we took a whole lecture talking about the human penmen. What we're doing is we're recognizing that they had the authority. So some Joe... Uh, Joe Blow coming up and waking up and saying, I'm going to write some scripture. Who wants to read it? Would that be recognized as authoritative? Not at all. And so they had to have their authority. Now in the New Testament, it had to be an apostle as an authority. Meaning that it had to be pinned or influenced by an apostle. So is Peter an apostle? Absolutely. Is John an apostle? Absolutely. Is Paul an apostle? Yes. Now, someone would may bring up, well, wait a second. We have two human penmen who were not apostles. You had John Mark, the gospel record of John Mark, and a Gentile writer by the name of Dr. Luke. Well, in that, we could see that both of them were influenced and were writing on behalf or the point of view of an off, of, um, excuse me, 
of an apostle. John Mark was a disciple of Peter. And he wrote the gospel record of Mark from Peter's perspective. So does that carry authority? It does. Dr. Luke was a traveling companion and the personal physician of Paul. And Paul's the one who influenced him and worked with him. Is Paul considered an apostle? Yes. So we have all of the New Testament books that were recognized as an apostle. As a sent messenger. Someone who was qualified by God. Now, is Mary Magdalene an apostle? No. Alright? So we could see that some of them would not pass the test of authority. The ones that are made the book, 66 books, had to have, first of all, passed the test of authority. Does that make sense? Second of all, there was a test of uniqueness. A test of uniqueness. Now, what does that mean? Each book had to have its own eternal evidence of its uniqueness of inspiration. You say, what in the world does that mean? Okay. What is the purpose of the Bible class? To reveal God to man. So each one of the 66 books tells us something special and unique about God. And so in order to pass the test of uniqueness, we also had to see how did it reveal God? Was there an eternal evidence of something that showed its inspiration of God, that it was written by God, and it wasn't just a copy of something else. Does that make sense? And so it had to pass the test of uniqueness. We had the test of authority, the test of uniqueness. Now again, man does not say that it's canon. We're just confirming that it's canon. God's the one who said it's canon. Man is recognizing what God has already done. The test of authority, the test of uniqueness. There's the third test, the test of acceptance. The test of acceptance. The books of the Bible, especially in the New Testament, had to be accepted by the churches. None of the New Testament books had any doubt of its authority, of its canonicity, of its inspiration by the early churches. The early churches said, that's scripture. We're confirming that as they've been praying with the Lord, as they've been working with it. They had that confirmation, this was scripture. Again, they didn't say it was scripture. They confirmed what God already said about it. Does that make sense? This is why some of those lost books are not part of the scriptures because they were not accepted. Especially since they were written way after the fact that uh, the gospel record of Barnabas was written hundreds of years after the fact. The gospel record of Mary Magdalene way after. And so they weren't there for the early church to confirm it. They could not have been scripture. Does that make sense? They had to be accepted. That was part of the test. Now with that, the Apostle Paul wrote many letters. Not every letter was inspired. Because God didn't inspire the author, he inspired his words. Does that make sense? So if someone found a lost letter, praise the Lord! But is it scripture because Paul wrote it? No. No. Does that make sense? And so they had to pass these tests. Now, a second thing. First of all, who determined or how was canon decided? First of all, it was determined by God. It was confirmed by man. Then when was canon accepted? That's a pretty good question. 
When was it accepted? Well, let's cover the Old Testament first. After Malachi was written, which is the old, or the last book of the Old Testament to be written, after Malachi, Ezra is still alive. And Ezra led what was called the Great Council or the Great Synagogue. And under his leadership with the, with the scribes and the people of that day, in fact, the early formation of the Pharisees, this is when they were good, they went and examined the scriptures that they had and they put their stamp of approval. This is of God. And the Old Testament scriptures was solidified and registered as canon during that time of the great synagogue during Ezra's day. And the Old Testament had no problems. Uh, nobody challenged it. They all agreed Ezra did a good job putting it together and making sure that the stamp of approval, there was no lost books. Make sense? So Ezra was in charge of the Old Testament. Then when we come to the New Testament, how do we know that the New Testament? Well, there's a couple things in the New Testament. First of all, that the writers witnessed that their own writings were scripture. That the writers recognized that God's the one who did this. This is different than my other letters. This had the hand of God behind it. Let me show you just a couple of scriptures. I could show you more, but let me show you a couple. Turn with me Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4. You guys are listening well. Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4. And notice with me in verse number 16. Colossians chapter 4 and verse 16. And when this epistle is read among you, cause it that it should be read in the church of the Lady Oceans, and that ye likewise read the epistle from the Lady Oceans. Here it's talking about that as Paul is writing this, he is saying, hey, guess what? You need to go pass this on to other churches because this is helpful. This is something that God put together. Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 which is the next book over, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Skip that one because I put the wrong reference and my mind is not finding the one that I'm looking for. But turn with me, if you don't mind, to the book of 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter number 3. 2 Peter chapter number 3. Here is Peter writing, and notice with me in 2 Peter chapter 3, notice with me in verse 16. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 16. As also in all his epistle, now it's speaking about Paul. In fact, let's hit verse 15. And the account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom on or wisdom given unto him hath written unto you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of those things which are of some things hard to be understood, that they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also the other 
scriptures unto their own destruction. Here Peter is recognizing that what Paul wrote was scripture. That he's recognizing that it's canon. He's recognizing that God's the one who did those books. He's putting his stamp of approval of it. He's the apostle Paul trained by Jesus. You would think that he would be the one to help recognize that this was scripture. With this, we also have John the Apostle. John the Apostle was the last New Testament writer, the last Bible writer. He concluded his books, finished them, in about 90 AD. Alright? So 90 AD, the New Testament is completed. What is interesting to note, that by 150 AD, the New Testament was put together in its current form. And was translated to uh, Siri uh, to a uh, to a language called Syrian. The Syriac Bashido was put together in the current form that we now have it at 150 A.D. That's pretty close to the source. And already churches, that's one example, but many churches around that time have was already confirming that the Bible that we have today, this is scripture. The churches had recognized it and understood it. By 200 AD, all unqualified books had already been rejected. So 150, we have the Bible in its form. By 200 AD, all the books that were not in here were rejected and confirmed by the other churches. This is not scripture. Does that make sense? Now, again, all we're doing is we're saying that men recognized what God had already done. Man didn't, did not determine that this is scripture. God did. Man just recognized what God said and what God did. Again, it's all about God. God could do whatever he wants with his book. God's the one that said, these 66 books are what I want you to have. And man said, I recognize that, that God put those 66 books together. Does that make sense? Now, some people would like to say that the Catholic Church, Catholic likes to do that, they like to say that in 397 AD, the Catholic Church had a big meeting and they said, all right, let's have a vote. Who believes that 2 Peter should be scripture? All right, good. And so they had a vote and a big council that determined the scriptures had already been used for hundreds of years before that and recognized in its current form, this is the Bible. Now, they may have had a great meeting. And by the way, that meeting was the start of the Roman Catholic Church. They said the universal church that everyone's a part of. But the other churches had already said long before that, this is the Bible. We don't need you to tell us what we already know. We already believe that this is Bible. Now, why make a big deal out of this? Because today, the Bible is under attack like no other. For example, we have other Christian religions that like to add books. We would reject that because the canon is closed. Scripture is closed. God is no longer giving us any scripture. It's already confirmed. Today, there's a big thing about lost books of the Bible. That People lost books of the Bible and we could somehow find these lost books and we can learn more about them. You know why people like finding lost books of the Bible? Because they don't want to obey what they already have. They're trying to find something new. We have plenty to obey here. We don't need to find any more. And with that, the stuff like the gospel record of Mary Magdalene contradicts what the Bible says. The gospel record of Mary Magdalene likes to say that Jesus got married and that he had kids. 
Well, that's not what the Bible says and that doesn't say what history says. But people will like those type of things because they want to have a controversy. They want to say that Jesus had an affair and he was an adulterer. By the way, why is that dangerous? Because if Jesus was a sinner, he can't be my savior. But people like those type of things because it makes them feel like I can do those things as well. Does it make sense? It becomes very dangerous. But where does it come from? People don't want to follow the authority of God's word. This is not a book about God and this, or this is not a book about man and it is not a book from man. This is a book about God and it is a book from God. And if it's from God's words, this is God's word, then we have to obey it. See, it all comes to the idea, who are we going to obey? If I recognize that I want to obey God, I have no problems with this book. But if there's something I don't want to submit to, then I have to find something else or find some reason not to obey this. Does that make sense? It all comes down to authority and submission. Who do I want to obey? Do I want to obey God or do I not want to obey God? Now, (laughs) I want you to have confirmed down that the Bible is God's word. And if it is God's word, I want you to love it like it's God's word. I want you to treat it like God's word. I want you to obey it like it's God's word. This is not a book about man. It is not a book from man. It is a book about God and a book from God. This is God's authority. This is God's book. We need to obey it. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 Five three zero six three zero eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three zero eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.